Well, just a little bit of discussion for us tonight. What, what do you think are some key, those of us who, some of us may have served in the military, maybe some not, maybe uh, even those of served in the military like me, I didn't see any battle, so I have no battle experience. But, you know, if we've all watched battle movies, I'm sure, seen certain movies that depict battle. What would you say are some, some um, key aspects to, to winning over an enemy? What, what are some key things that, that you see in battles that, and winning over the enemy? Strategy? <laughs> Strategy? Any others? That's good. Weapons. Weapons, yes. What's that? Teamwork. Teamwork, yeah, yeah. Any others? Right, aware of who your enemy is. Huh? Preparation, training, yes. Any others? What about what about um, who your leader is? Who your leader is? You know, really, when you think about major battles like uh, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, right? Right, that's, that's who, when you think of some great military leaders, you hear that name. Um, you think of others, you know, some, uh, some didn't maybe end well for them, but they were known to be great military leaders, Napoleon, um, others that we think of through history, biblically. And then also, what about, what about those things that, that are come from the spirit of man? You know, uh, you ever seen those movies where they let out the big war cry? Before they go, I've noticed kind of a trend. I've seen some uh, videos of uh, high school football teams that are starting to do these, some kind of little chant and stomping their feet and doing these things, kind of intimidate the other team. They're kind of bringing that old uh, mindset of the, the battlefield when they used to face off, you know, and you'd see your enemy and they'd try to strike fear in the hearts of the enemy. You know, you think about the old movies like Braveheart where there's face paint and there's this whole uh, intimidation factor. And sometimes, uh, literally, it can be uh, who has... Uh, the greater uh, spirit in them uh, to win the war. One thing's for sure, God didn't place us in this world to uh, live lives of constant defeat and discouragement. I, I think we can easily, as Christians, lose sight. It, it, it's, it's so hard when we live in such a fallen world and may, maybe we're out of shape physically and, and maybe we're exhausted mentally and spiritually we may feel dry. And then, and then we try to think of um, think of ourselves as being warriors in the kingdom of God, being uh, those who will be undefeated in the end, that will stand with Christ, right? That's very hard. Is that, that's a, we're going to change our message to superheroes here in a minute. <laughs> but it, it is hard. You know, um, if I go over in the morning to bend over and put my shoes on and all of a sudden I'm losing more breath than I did the day before, I can't say that I get this war cry in my heart to just go and defeat the devil. I, I feel pretty weak. But God didn't intend for us to have that kind of spirit or live that kind of life of constant defeat and discouragement. So even though life is a war, God's given us weapons to win the battles of life. It isn't that the weapons aren't there. It's that many people live their lives not knowing how to use their weapons for victory. You know, <clears throat> many times the United States has uh, helped other countries fight their own wars by supplying them with weapons. But they learned in a few, uh, and I won't go into details because I've, 
I used to know a little more details about some of those, and I don't want to misstate, but there's been times we've handed over great uh, weapons of war to uh, third world countries so they can defend themselves and, and defeat their enemies, only to find out that we didn't spend adequate time showing them how to use equipment. Some end up hurting themselves worse than hurting their enemy because they didn't know how to use their weapons. And today I'm going to give you some weapons of spiritual warfare. First, I want to read to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. We are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and we teach them to obey Christ. In spiritual battles, you can't use physical weapons. It's very tempting. We often, we often try that. You know, when you're about to when you're about to lose your marriage or things are going rough and you think you might lose your marriage, uh, we tend to start looking to our own methods. Um, you know, maybe flowers will do it. You know, may, maybe my smooth talking will do it. Maybe something. I can bargain. I can barter. But, but whether, you, whether you use talent, ability, intelligence, finances, or social skills, in spiritual battles, you must know how to use the spiritual weapons. When the devil is attacking your marriage or, or, your, or your livelihood at your job or, or um, maybe your spiritual walk with the Lord, there are spiritual weapons you have to use and your earthly weapons will do no good. God has not given us the spirit of fear, the scripture says, but of love, power, and sound mind. And God's given us weapons to win, and you can't live spiritual, spiritual victory by using, um, w- without using the weapons God's given us. So the first weapon is the name of Jesus. I grew up with a, a, strong, um, a strong teaching of the power of the name of Jesus. And I don't want us to ever lose sight of the fact that even speaking the name of Jesus carries power. You know, we may not get into some of the things, uh, you know, in our church where uh, maybe some of you think were weird, but, you know, demon possession is real. And, and there are times when people have had to, had to uh, confront a demon. We know just from, from Scripture, but even in today's times, and the name of Jesus will cause uh, a negative reaction from that demon. Because there is power even in his name. So we can't forget the, that that is a weapon that Jesus, yeah, we, don't, we don't use him for our own selfish gain, but his name is meant to be used as a weapon of spiritual warfare. It's kind of not in the same sense, but you know, maybe in a feeble attempt to draw a correlation here, would be like when you're sta- if you're standing at line you know, to see some famous person and you got a personal invite for them and the people are saying, no, no. You can't go in. And you say, oh, yeah, well, I know so-and-so. And here's their letter saying I can go in. And, and, and there's that authority that when Jesus' name is spoke, all his authority goes with that name. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. I think about that scripture and it goes on to say the first weapon that we have is the name of the lord um you know many of you if you've been to our house or you've heard me talk about we built a safe room and we maybe overdid a little bit we got a three inch thick door and these bolts when you close that thing you feel like you're in a vault boom and you know the first time 
we actually had a threat of severe weather and there's uh, tornado warnings going off. And we run in that thing and we hear that clung, clung. And then we're sitting in chairs eating snacks, right? Feeling pretty confident that no matter what hits that house, we're going to be safe. That scripture, you think about that. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a strong fortress. The righteous run into it. We can run in when you know when you live by and you know that he is your Lord, that Jesus is your king, you run into his safety under his name. And the first weapon that, that we have is that name. And the devil hates that name. The devil can't stand for us to uh, invoke, if you will, to use that word, the name of Jesus. The, the disciples came back rejoicing that they had power over the devil through the name of Jesus. We think about the seven sons of Sceva, if you're familiar with that, that, that uh, account in Scripture. You know, there's some guys who are like, hey, that's pretty cool. I've seen those disciples. They say the name of Jesus. They cast out demons. and They're thinking this could be a moneymaker here. Uh, there must have been plenty of demonic people. I believe we probably have plenty of demonic people today. I think it's labeled in different things now, and, and uh, we, we see it in different contexts that we uh, attribute a, a, maybe a medical condition to it. Not that there aren't real medical mental conditions, but there's sometimes I believe it's demonic activity. And so um, back then, and so the seven sons of Kiva, hey, we'll, we'll invoke that name, but the demons didn't recognize them, recognize the name, but who was speaking it had no authority because they did not follow the Lord. Well, so when we think about this, um, you know, when Jesus would show up, the demons would say, we know you, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to torment us before the time? In other words, are you cutting our time short to come in and wreak havoc? Because they know that they can't stay if he commands them to go. And the devil can't penetrate past the name of Jesus. That's why that scripture refers to the name of Jesus as a strong fortress, a strong tower. So when you feel a spiritual attack in your life, you're to use the name of Jesus. Uh, you, you have to use it with confidence because here's the thing. Um, when I went to that baptism I talked about, the jail, uh, I really loved how Brother Dixon, who was doing the baptizing, ensured that everybody there knew the significance of what they're doing. They'd get up there, and he'd ask them, and he didn't want any other comments from the audience. And he said, he said how, what gives you the right to go to heaven? If you die now, what would give you the right to go to heaven? And he would want them to say, I have no right, because that's what the jail minister was supposed to talk to them. Only by the blood of Jesus, only because Jesus is my Lord. Have I been made right and can enter into heaven? And, and there were some that were, you could tell it was timid because they, they still were, they weren't at that point, they are about to bury the old person and raise them up. A new creature. But they still had that old person hang on to it. So he's asking that question right before baptism and you could tell some of them, they were just like, I just don't feel good enough. I don't think I want to answer that question. Here's the thing, when you have asked Jesus to be your Lord, even when you struggle and you're having to ask for forgiveness, you have authority through Jesus to use his name against the attempts of the enemy. That is a weapon of spiritual war warfare. I, I was going to save this for uh, when we do a baptism. I was going to borrow it from Brother Dixon, but um, my message is going to be a little short tonight because we have, we have, I want time for us to do some spiritual warfare for specific things but i gotta tell you the story he told and it's a true story but he used this at the beginning of baptism and honestly when we had 40 baptism i'm thinking we're gonna be here all day did i already tell the story that he told anybody here okay i want to make sure i'm 
getting to that age where I may repeat, repeat story, forget where I told it, who I told it to. But he says that in 1907, Oklahoma became a state, and four years later, in 1911, there was an outlaw, who he wasn't the best outlaw, named Elmer McGurdy. El- Elmer McCurdy. And Elmer McCurdy decided he found out there was going to be a uh, bank train uh, the visiting the banks that was going to have $400,000 on it. Now, $400,000 now is a fortune. Back then, it would have been a mega fortune. The only problem is Elmer McCurdy, he wasn't so good at what he did. He robbed the wrong train. And all he ended up with was, um, was a couple pocket watches, a bottle of whiskey, and a pistol. And so he's on the run now, and a famous, I can't remember the, the uh, famous uh, sheriff, but him and his brother and a posse chased after Elmer McCurdy, and they got somewhere over in Oklahoma on a, a farm homestead and chased him into a barn, and a shootout ensued. He, he shot at several of them, and they had to shoot back at him, and they, they shot him in the chest and killed Elmer McCurdy. Now, back then, in those days, this is 1911, they had to use a special embalming process. I believe used arsenic and some other things that were hazardous to, to people. But because they, they w- would generally have to wait till the family would show up for a funeral, and it may take them quite some time. And so they didn't um, really, really um, have have much uh, time to to wait. So they had to use something uh, to keep the body preserved. Well, no family was coming in the normal amount of time, and so the funeral home, getting impatient to get paid for their services already prepared Elmer, they decided to stand him back up in, in the funeral home in the office and use him for a hat rack. And after some time went by, they finally realized they had to do something with him, and a traveling circus came through, and they sold Elmer to a traveling circus, and this traveling circus would charge people a nickel to come see the outlaw Elmer McCurdy. He still had the bullet holes and the blood stains on the shirt, and it became a, a circus attraction. And somewhere along in the 1960s, uh, he got sold... Um, but by then he had received uh, some, some wax and some paint, I guess, and some other things to kind of keep him looking good. And so he was actually sold as a wax figure to a TV producer or TV uh, movie producing company. And he was on the set of some, um, some really bad horror movie in the 60s. And after, after that, they were filming in 1960, 1977, I believe it was, they were filming a movie or a episode of the six million dollar man how many remember six million dollar man the bionic man right he had been injured they put him back together with robotic parts now he could run fast and all that well during the process of shooting that one of the stagehands bumped over elmer and his arm came off them thinking he is a wax figure they thought we'll just go get tape and we'll tape back elmer's arm when they came back to tape his arm they found that there's a human bone inside so they called the authorities, and a big investigation ensued. And as they backtracked, they found out this is Elmer McCurdy. And here this is, 1977. And when was he shot? 1911. 67 years later. So they go to begin to try to find out where Elmer McCurdy's from. And I can't remember the town. I think it's close to Pryor, Oklahoma. And that town said, you will give him a proper burial. So the movie uh, company decided they want to make sure this wasn't some big publicity stunt. They want to do right by Elmer. And finally, when they figured that out, they released him. And they had a big old, you know, the glass-cased uh, horse and buggy carriage for a funeral procession. Did it up like the old Wild West. And there's about 300 people that attended Elmer McCurdy's uh, funeral, but still no family. So this is 67 years later that Elmer finally got buried. 
And the point to the story was, is that how many would agree that it was time that Elmer got a burial? Right? And, and, and Brother Dixon's um, uh, point was, is that so many of us carry around the old man hanging our head down, and we need to bury that old person, and it kind of gets troublesome. And, and, and we go on and on and on, way past time to bury that old person. And so that's a true story. You can look it up online. I will warn you, there's some pretty uh, yucky pictures of, of Elmer as he uh, began to age after death. He didn't really uh, decay much. He, he aged. But, but then we have uh, the blood of Jesus as a weapon. Revelations 12:11, and they have defeated him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of their testimony, and they were not afraid to die. You know, we, we can see this, this common theme in the Old Testament. It was blood animal sacrifices to cover sin. Why? There's one thing that you watch movies and you'll see that is a God principle, and that is when there is evil, there needs to be blood drawn. Old Wild Westerns. You did me wrong, it's time for a shootout. God is a just God. But here's the thing, he's a loving God, and so God's always offered a way for us to offer the blood of an animal or an, a, a blood of, of something else in the Old Testament to, to cover our evil, to cover our sins. It's, a, it's an act of grace. And so once Jesus died on the cross, we know he was the perfect sacrifice once and for all, and so his blood is what covers our sin. But, but did God make sure that we all had a little vial of Jesus' blood, that we had at least a drop for every time that we would do something wrong that we carry around us? No. It's a supernatural, it is a spiritual covering now. I don't like using the word invoke because uh, often, but it, I think here it's appropriate because it's, it's used in, the, in more of an evil sense many times. But we really do. We invoke, in a way we invoke the blood of Jesus. So we, we don't have the power to tell Jesus what to do. But he has given us authority under his blood, under his covering, to say, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. I remember being in junior high or younger when I would worry about a demon showing up in my room. And boy, I tell you, as a young kid, when you're trying to figure this all out, and you start thinking about, you know, what if one of those things appears to me? You start thinking, I need to remember this. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, I command you to leave. And you start figuring out very quickly as a young believer that, that uh, if I should encounter uh, one of uh, Satan's uh, demons, that I need to have this straight. But the blood of Jesus is a covering over your mind, over your spirit, or anything in your life. There's times in my life I've struggled with things that would pass through my mind, and I just get so sick of it. I'm like, I, I can't. I seem to keep having these, uh, we call them stray thoughts, but the enemy keeps throwing these darts, these fiery darts at me. And I just can't seem to protect my mind. And, and I, I, I get tired of and weary of it. And, and I, I would just call out in the name of Jesus, say, by the blood of Jesus, cover my mind, cover my heart, protect me, Lord. But you can place a blood covering over yourself through the authority Jesus has given us by his sacrifice. And the devil can't cross that bloodline. You remember at the Passover, remember what happened when, when the angel of death, when, when the angel of death was coming for the firstborn, and God had instructed his people, if you take the blood of the lamb and you put it over the doorpost, that the death angel will, will pass over. That's where we get that term, pass over that, that place. It was a protection that literally smearing that lamb's blood would be recognized by a spiritual being, not by a physical man, but by a spiritual being, the death angel coming 
to bring death to the firstborn. It was a plague, it was punishment, and that blood covering protected their firstborn. And then the third weapon, the Word of God. We can never discount the power of the Word of God. When you think about when the devil was trying to tempt Jesus, leading up to his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, what did Jesus, how did Jesus respond to the enemy, to the devil? He was repeating God's word back to him. Well, aren't you saying that Jesus, when he spoke, we now read his words and that was God's word? No, he was, he was repeating many times Old Testament, um, those that had been pa- that stuff that had been passed down that was God's word. Ephesians 6, 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Now, now we know that a shield is a faith, right? So our faith is to protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. But we aren't just to sit back and huddle under the shield. Otherwise, we'd have no need for a sword if that's all we need to do. The sword is a weapon to be used. The sword is not just one of defense, but one of attack. A lot of times we, we run our lives like we're just sitting behind the shield trying to get down our menial tasks of our job and family and all that stuff. And then if something bad comes up in a big spiritual attack, then we go looking for the sword to pick up and we want to start fighting then. But God wants us to be on attack all the time, knowing his word, repeating his word. The kids learning in JBQ being able to memorize God's word and repeat it so quickly that they, they just hear a few lead, lead words into a sentence and they can quickly recall the word of God. It's powerful. They're being equipped. Those young warriors are being equipped with swords. So you have a powerful weapon in the word of God because the devil can't make the word, which is truth, fail. The devil cannot change the word of God. The devil cannot... Um, now, he may try to corrupt it in your understanding of it, but he can't corrupt the word of God. When you claim the promises of God in your life, they are yes and amen. That means they are final. Now, I am not one that ascribes to what people would maybe call positive confession, where God, to me, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but God is not a genie in a bottle of me, so I don't command God to do anything. He has given me commandments and promises I can stand on and say, Lord, you say in your word, and so I petition you for this. But I, I, don't, I don't feel that it's my place to say, God, you have to do this because you said it. But in the same sense, when you claim, uh, claim the promises of God in your life, when you're living according to His uh, purposes, when you're saying my heart is to follow you and to obey, and I want to come into alignment with your will, and so in that I claim the promises of God in my life, they are yes and amen. It is done. Maybe not in your timing, maybe not in the way you would think they would, but it is done. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, I was thinking about, and I normally don't like to make notice, I get in the habit of wearing a pocket knife all the time. So some people may think, why is pastor preaching with a knife? But, but this is a little cheap, I think it cost me around $15 uh, at um, Army or whatever that Outfitters is in Fayetteville. And uh, one thing I like about this thing is, it takes a few swipes on a sharpening stone, and this thing is just razor sharp. It's kind of amazed me for a cheap knife. And, you know, you think about the Word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. 
you guys are into knives, they know what kind of metal it takes to get the right, what's best, what's strongest. If you get too strong a metal, then you can't keep a good edge, you know, and this and that. You don't want it to break. But God's word is like the perfect two-edged blade, two-edged sword, and it cuts through any junk, if you will. So when you use the word of God against the devil, you will get immediate results. Now here's the thing, when I say that, there are, there are those who have prayed and prayed for something and they stood on the word of God and they say, no, I didn't get immediate results. Well, well, this is what you have to understand. It's like I've used this illustration many times. If my kids have eaten candy three days in a row and we kind of let go on that on the third day, our fourth day, they're asking for candy again. At some point I have to say, no, that's not good for you. You know, you may enjoy it and I like to have something to enjoy once in a while, but now you're, you're going too far. Or in other cases, you know, teenagers. Hey, I really want to go out and I just need to stay out a little later. I just want to stay out till 1 in the, in the morning. No, that's when people are leaving bars and everything drunk. And I don't want to have to get a call that you've had an accident. You know, you know what I'm saying? A good father, a good parent, as God is to us, um, there are times that we're praying. He's like, he didn't immediately answer. Well, yes, sometimes his answer is no because he loves you. And you have to be willing to say, you know what? I really wanted that, but his answer is no. What about the one who's praying for their, their marriage to heal or those type of things? And God knows that if that was to try to heal right then, if he was to try to, to push real hard that, that spouse or the other, it, it may cause problems for those children or anything. And maybe it's a longer process. Or there, there could be many uh, gamut of how God wants things to work out. But we have to trust that when we proclaim his word against the devil, we get immediate results. Faith in God's word will remove any mountain, will slay any giant, and it will defeat any enemy. Word says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. I was thinking about that, uh, you know, and here in a minute I'll give a little more detail, but uh, this thing with the building project, and, um, you know, probably I just started talking about it too soon, had no idea how long this thing would drag out, and, and uh, my frustration started peaking a little bit at times this week. And it's been an emotional roller coaster. And, uh, you know, I have to keep reminding myself that, that the, no one can come against this church. No thing, no principality, nothing can come against this church that God doesn't allow. And that we're in his hands and that while we keep pushing forward, doing all we can, he'll utilize our efforts uh, He'll, he'll maximize our efforts, but in the end, it's God's timing, God's will, and we have to, have to be good with that. All right, the fourth, the fourth weapon, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, and don't negate the second any more than the first. Prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 21. You didn't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I assure you, even if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. All right, how many want to be a little bit vulnerable and say that you've actually been driving and want to test it out and you saw a big hill? You're like, oh, what's a mustard seed feel like? Move. <laughs> when I was a kid, I wanted to test all the scriptures. I mean, I, I'm like, come on, he wrote it. It's got to happen. And so you, you feel like, you know, one of those movies where they're trying to unlock the secrets or the mysteries of the Bible, you know. And uh, So I, I've been there, but, but we shouldn't take it lightly. There is a point in our faith walk 
where it, it, it's not that, now I tell you, there's going to be a lot of dirt that needs to be moved on our property. And if I could really get that to happen, we could save a lot of money because I could walk out there and just tell the dirt to move where it needs to go, right? But, but in reality, God maybe wants to see our faith grow through being taken care of in different ways. But in this story, in this Matthew 17, 21, in the story, the disciples couldn't cast out the devil, so Jesus cast out the devil. He did it for them. And when asked why they failed, Jesus said, in some cases, there are strong spirits that you'll face that requires prayer and fasting to win the victory. Now, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Has anyone ever seen someone who they tried to cast a demon out of and it didn't happen? Dad, would you mind sharing just... Just briefly. So, you know, there's there's you know, we're we're hard on ourselves sometimes when we 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 want to believe that we have the faith and do that. But we understand that in this case, even Jesus had to cast out for his disciples who was closer to Jesus than the disciples right then. No one. This was the closest followers of Jesus that that have been probably yet. I'm not saying that, you know, somebody hasn't rated in their spiritual walk with the Lord beyond that. But these are the guys that have direct face to face verbal conversation with the Son of God, and they have difficulty, and Jesus did it. So he asked why they failed, and Jesus said, in some cases there are strong spirits that you'll face that require prayer and fasting to win the victory. Does he say how much prayer? No. Does he say how much fasting? No. But Jesus is indicating that don't think that every time you encounter a demon that you quickly say the name of Jesus and it's out. There are some that are deep-rooted. Now I believe, and we could do a whole study on this and probably get uh, books and do study, but I believe... A lot of it will have to do with whether the person wants to release that demon or not. You know, in that case, I think, Dad, you know, the parents are bringing the, the, the son, but if the son didn't want to be free of that demon, I think there could be some stronghold that it, it, it's not going to be that easy. Someone who is being tormented and, and wants to be free, they've opened themselves up and they didn't realize what they were doing, or maybe they did and they, they didn't realize how bad it would get. But, but either way, you need to stay prayed, it, prayed up. If you let your guard down, the enemy will win over you. Sometimes you must die to the flesh to strengthen the spirit. And the weaker you are in the flesh, the stronger you will be in the spirit. <clears throat> you know, it's the same thing I encounter as a pastor when I want to pray for someone to be healed and they're not healed right away. And we have this feeling that we've got to explain for ourselves, right? I've got I to gotta, I gotta explain to you why that didn't happen. Well, we're thinking maybe it's because maybe that movie, I shouldn't watch that movie. Now, I always like to give you guys real-world experience that I have because I, I want you to know I struggle too. And so uh, I'm driving home, and or this is the first time I was hearing this, so, so, uh, but Aura fixed some more problems on my car. And thank you for that. And um, it was obvious problems because we had a condensing fan that when you turn the air conditioner on, it didn't come on. Condensing fan is supposed to come on. And it doesn't when you do that. So I even read blogs. Everything said that's 
you know, that's how you know it's not working. So um, we had that and another little issue, and that issue's fine. But um, drove around all day yesterday, and it was fine. You know, no engine light. I'm like, praise God, this is great. And I called Jen. I was like, no engine light. We've driven this thing for a long time. No engine light. And on the way home, I was having one of those days where God was really in it. I'd had a great meeting in the morning with some maps folks going out to land. Then I had a great lunch meeting with a, a guy with a dirt moving company that could end up helping us a lot. You don't know, but I'm just kind of on that high. And then I'm even going home a little early because I just, I kind of got so excited that I wore out quick in the afternoon and I couldn't focus enough to get much done. So I'm on my way home and I'm pulling the drive. But before I get there, I'm really struggling with, with a couple things that I was ha- not have a good attitude towards. And I started pulling the drive and the engine light came on. And I te- checked it and it was a cooling thing. And, and I was like, now Lord, that part, I know that part was bad. Are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> Are you, do you, come on, do you guys ever do that? You, everything's going good and then you have that moment where you fail in some area, something in your heart, you feel like you got, you, you got vindictive or you got hateful in your heart, you got unforgiving and all of a sudden, wham, you're like, now I'm being punished. Now I'm being punished. And my wife thinks it's so silly. She's like, oh, come on, it's probably just a fluke thing. It's no big deal. But I, you know, I just, I just let it get to me. Um, but here's the thing. We will always have those tests because we're in a fallen nature when we fail. And it doesn't mean we, uh, you know, if you keep going, you eventually separate yourself from God, but it doesn't mean you've lost out and you have to start over. Many times when we have new believers and they raise their hand to accept the Lord, they'll probably, some of them that didn't grow up in church, they'll raise their hand multiple times through multiple services for months after, every time an invitation is given. Because what's happening is they're expecting that they accept the Lord and they'll go out and they'll be able to kick the devil's tail just like everybody else that's in, the, in, in there. But what they don't realize is that they're just now a baby Christian. And if, they're, if anybody's going to get attacked the hardest by the enemy, it's going to be them. If they're a drug user, they're going to have more offers for drugs for cheaper than they've ever had within the weeks after that. If, if they were having fights with their spouse, they're going to have the most hairy, worst fight ever after that. You know how that's how it works, right? As soon as you've made a big shift to follow Christ and, and let him change your life, you're going to be hit the hardest. So we have to stay prayed up. We can't let our guard down. The enemy will try to win over us every time. So sometimes you must die to the flesh, strengthen the spirit, and the weaker you are in the flesh, the stronger you are in the spirit. So now we've talked about things we can do so far, like proclaim the name of Jesus, the power in his name, the blood of Jesus, um, prayer and fasting. And fasting, when you get into taking away basic necessities like food or things that you're addicted to, like TV or other things, for the purpose of not dieting, or not just correcting a bad habit, but for spending that time with the Lord, try praying when you're getting hangry. You know what hangry is, right? It's when you've waited too long to eat, and the hunger has turned into anger. It's hangry. And our family, we talk about that a lot. If I come home grumpy, and I kind of snap at one of the kids, Jen will say, it's okay, kids, he's just hangry. As soon as, as, soon as mom gets him some food, dad will be okay. You know? <laughs> hangry. So, so we've talked about those things the, the, and the fasting and the power of that, what Jesus said about that. But then there's another weapon of spiritual warfare where it's not a matter of you, of you invoking the name of Jesus or, 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 or claiming the name of Jesus or the blood of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit comes in. Luke 24, 49, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. 
but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. There's an infilling. And, and listen, I have people many times that come from either a Baptist background or others, and there's nothing wrong with that, and, and they may not be comfortable or ready to even talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you, it's real. It's for today. It is for everyone. And I know I step on toes and say, it is for everyone. Now, why some pray and they don't receive for some amount of time, I don't know. For me, it actually took quite a while as well um, from when I first uh, began being open to it. But the Holy Spirit working you really takes an openness and a willingness and a hunger for not the speaking in tongues, but God to do something mighty in you. Anyone who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, it's always happened after a moment of breakthrough where they're finally emptying themselves out enough and all the things they're hanging on to to where they say, all I want is you, Lord. And whatever you want to do in me, I want you to do it. And it's usually a point of crying and snotting, not that that has to be there. Maybe someone says, I'm not an emotional type. But listen, when you get to that breaking point and it's the very bottom, you've hit that bottom, then I don't care how tough you are or what kind of emotional level you think you're at, people cry. <laughs> people break. Uh, pe- people, uh, they, they, you see it visibly on them. And so, listen, if you're praying for, for um, God to clarify for you whether that's something that you need, just read through the book of Acts and see what happened to those people who were hiding out, afraid for their lives because they saw Jesus crucified and realized how powerful he was, and yet they, what they did to him, and, and see what happens when they wait and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. They become bold and brazen. And the whole purpose was to go out and make disciples. You want to see fruit in your life? Be willing for the Holy Spirit to baptize you and fill you. So uh, this is an endowment of power from on high. Jesus told the disciples to tarry and wait for the promise of the Father. And he knew that for the disciples and the early church to walk in victory, uh, they would need the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. I've seen in prayer services where a preacher or evangelist would really say, if you pray in a heavenly language, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want you to come up here and begin interceding for people. And, and I've sat in that pew before and think, well, that's really nice. I'm less of a person, I guess. I can't pray for them. No, there's a difference because I've been up there when people begin praying in the Spirit. You feel the power of the Holy Spirit to send. You, you know, it's not a thing that we have a corner on the market of that we can say how it works. This is God's ways. And so if that's how God works, then we have to like it or lump it because if you want to have him working and power in your life, then you, then you have to come to him about these things. And look, I'm going to say once again, though, I never treat anyone differently just because they've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't give it much thought other than the fact I want the best for everyone, just like God wants the best for you. And so I may pray that God fills you, but you won't find me treating you any differently than my friends who have been baptized uh, with evidence of speaking tongues. All right, so um, Jesus knew that, that, that for the early disciples and the early church that, that they would want the need to walk in victory, that they'd need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, working their lives because he was going to be going back to the right hand of the Father. They weren't going to have the Son of God right there walking alongside them, verbally hearing him all the time. They're going to have to rest on the words that he left them with and the Holy Spirit's endowment of power. So um, the Scripture also tells us, Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, don't you know that you are the temple in which the Holy Spirit wants to reside and work? The Holy Spirit doesn't want to hang out in heaven. Not that, the, not that I'm going to say he doesn't want to, but where he prefer, while there's great work to be done, is be in you as the temple working through you. Many people who do not realize the Holy Spirit is the active force of God in their lives to help them overcome uh, the devil, the flesh, and the, and the world. But it says, you shall receive power when he comes upon you. So God never placed us here to walk in limited power. Some of us feel like we've, we, we've been dealing with maybe unbelievers in our families or, or in a workplace. We're like, how can I ever get through to them? Listen, you focus on getting uh, so full of the Holy Spirit and I'm talking about on your knees in your prayer closet, praying, fasting, believing, calling on the name of Jesus, asking him to send his Holy Spirit and to fill you. I guarantee you that if that's where your focus is, things will shake loose all around you. Dunamis is a word that we get the word dynamite from. And this is the word that's also used when it's talking about he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus as the one who would baptize people in the Holy Spirit. And John knew that the people needed more than a dunk into the water. They needed a filling of the fire. We know there's interaction when Paul went to, I believe it's uh, was it Ephesus. I may get my towns mixed up here. And he encounters the believers who had been baptized under John the Baptist. And he asked them, when have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? When have you been baptized? They said, we don't know about that. And he's like, wait a minute. So let's back up. You know, when you were baptized, it's 20 years. They had been believers for 20 years, but not been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know, when did you believe? And he finally gets bottom up. He prays over them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, and it shakes things loose. So we see evidence, not just um, from one account, but several, where the baptism of the Holy Spirit was key. So he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit with fire. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus as the one who would baptize people in the Holy Spirit. He, he talked about that to those. He said, I, I baptize you in water but one day, paraphrasing. There'll be another who will baptize you in fire, in the Spirit. And John knew that people needed more than that dunk in the water. They needed a filling of the fire. All right, so the weapons we talked about, the name of Jesus... The blood of Jesus, the word of God, prayer and fasting, and then the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with, with, um, with the weapons that God's provided you. It's just we need to know how to use them to be successful in spiritual battle. Now, I, I left us a little time before we close. And I want us to do some spiritual warfare and prayer. I'm just going to be clear with you. I have had this whole thing with the building project. Uh, it's just been wearing me out emotionally and physically, mentally. I'm not sleeping well. I can use your prayer. Jen and the kids, it's, it's, it all takes a toll through the line. And you need to pray for this church and for you because this is not about my journey. This is about all of our journeys. Everything that I go to and sit in those meetings, it is impacting this whole body because it is not my church. It is God's church, and we all his children who he's chosen to plant us here. So I'm just going to tell you some areas that you can really call out in the, uh, to the name of Jesus for in your prayer tonight. And if you pray for Jen and I, I'd just ask you, leave that last. Because, because the source is, right now, is God has given us a great piece of property to build a church. 
And we've been talking about this for a long time. I have. Maybe too soon. Maybe I should have waited till all the ducks in a row before I said anything. But we're here now. And we are at a point where something has to break loose on the cost of this. Either God has to pro- provide a, a large sum of money that we aren't expecting, or this guy I met with uh, recently, uh, if something works out and we're able to save a bunch of money on dirt work or something, but something has to break loose because we are at a, a very risky point right now of losing MAPS volunteers because of the timing. Uh, just, just this week when I met with some of the uh, MAPS folks, the thing is, is they've all signed up for projects throughout the year. And our framers have to be here at one point, And they're going off of what we thought we'd start at, when we'd start, and then they have to be somewhere else later. And they're not going re- to go back on their commitment in another church, another state. Uh, they've given their word to be there. So timing is everything right now. And we are under a big crunch. Right now, even if everything fell into place, the bank would be under pressure to try to get us ready to break ground when we need to. We've already delayed um, our MAPS workers from coming in another month, and I don't think we can really afford to do that another month. So we need your prayer and your intercession that God will pull everything into alignment, that, that the finances, uh, that the timing, the, the struggles we've had through the engineering process, that all that fall in line. And I don't need it for me to get more sleep. I need it because we've got work to do. We've got a community to reach. And even if we have empty seats now, Believe me, we've gone through this many times before. We'll fill them, and we'll stay too full for a while, and then we'll lose some. If we, if we lose them to another church where they're getting ministered and blessed to, then praise God as long as they're being ministered to. But God's given us a task to be excellent at. And I'm not going to sit back and just say, well, somebody else will take care of them. Whoever he sends our way, I want to have the facility and the resources, and I want to be able to do my best for God. So let's just take a, a few moments, and Nathan, if you want to put on some prayerful music and um, just find a place, if you're comfortable sitting and praying where you're at. Um, I tried not to let it get too warm in here so it won't become nap time, but let's pray and just believe God to do some miracles. Amen.